Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. All right, uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9 in our Bibles. And uh, taking a little sidestep uh, from Matthew today, um, because this is a sermon that I uh, actually preached about two or three weeks ago at a church in Santa Barbara. And uh, gosh, it was such a blessing. And um, I love not wa uh, wasting those sermons. I don't want to say waste, but um, it's nice to be able to make the investment in our own church. Um, when I do study or I do work and so uh, on a text. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring it to legacy as well. Uh, this is 1 Samuel chapter 9, and the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is God in every detail. God in every single detail. Heard of a story, maybe you heard of this one too. A pastor's wife was preparing pancakes for her sons. She had two young sons. And the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake, of course, prodding at each other and pushing and trying to reach for the food. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. She said, if Jesus were sitting here, boys, he would let the other. He, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Well, the oldest boy turned to his younger brother and said, well, it's time for you to be Jesus. And uh, that's it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yesterday was my 40th birthday. Can you believe that? Uh, I never dreamed I would reach this age. Uh, and all of the uh, older, wiser, uh, more mature in the room are saying, wow, you're very still young. And... Um, I feel young, but uh, I do know that life is passing, and uh, if I'm going to be 80, I'm halfway through, 90, I'm a little under half, and 100, I'm still young. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm noticing that life is going on, going by faster and faster, um, just as I've been told by those uh, in front of me. And uh, I, I'm, the time is getting shorter, I think that's what it is, and life is more busier and more responsibilities, and I think about more things have a lot of perspective, uh, I think to some degree, I mean, not as much as um, I would like to, but, uh, you know, when you're young, you're waiting, uh, time is frozen, right? You know, when you're five years old, you know, it's like kindergarten takes forever, you know? And then uh, when you get into high school, you can't believe four years, how am I gonna do four years in high school? And, uh, and then your early 20s, you know, you can't even imagine being 30, and 40-year-olds are very old, you know, and then uh, you reach your mid-30s, and you're like, yeah, 40s right around the corner, and now in 10 years, I'll be 50, in 20 years, I'll be 60, and my Eden will be 24, and Shep would be 21. And uh, it's moving by fast. What I'm learning more than anything is that uh, really the most important things in life are uh, my, my Lord, my relationship with Him, my family, and uh, my good friendships. Really, that's it. All the success and money and all that other stuff, it's cool, it's helpful, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make life. Um, you know, it, it, the weight of a person is not uh, their success or their fame or their money, it's how kind they are at the end of the day. Um, and uh, that, that's what really matters, right? You know, you walk up to somebody who has everything and they're a jerk, it's like, I don't like you, see ya, bud, I don't wanna hang out with you. Um, and I've noticed that more and more 
that this, this is uh, wh where I want to find gold in life and uh, as it's passing through. And so I, I look at the details and I analyze them closely and um, the weight of people has changed drastically from being 20 years old uh, to now where I'm at today. And I'm sure it'll change a lot more in another 20 years. But you ever wonder if God is working in the small details? Um, like smiling at a stranger when the wind blows on your face on a hot day. Is that meant for anything? When your toddler gives you a big smile or when you catch a great wave or when that song comes on in your car and no one is around, you sing at the top of your lungs. Uh, is God working in those things? You know, when you get a pay cut, is he working in that? Um, or when you get into an argument with your spouse or someone scratches your car in the parking lot or cuts you off uh, on the freeway, is God, is, is God working in those details? Um, is God in the mundane house cleaning and driving the same roads every day, eating the same cereal, uh, drinking the same coffee? Is, is God in those small details? Um, we're going to see a very, very detailed story today in which uh, it reveals the answer, the obvious. But it's fun to see it written down in this, uh, in this mundane story, really, that God uses uh, in an extraordinary way. Uh, to get some context, it's good to look at the last chapter in Samuel 8. Uh, Israel was led for 400 years by the judges. That was their government. And they began to complain to God and, uh, and to the prophet Samuel, uh, wanting a king like all the other nations. We want a king. We want a king. We're tired of the judges, and we're tired of God being our king. Uh, the Lord was their king, but they wanted a human king like the rest of the world. And Samuel tried to warn them against this, but they begged for a king. So the Lord told Samuel to give them what they wanted. And though God would give the people a king they wanted, he would, this king would never be the king they needed. And the majority of the kings of Israel would be those who take. Uh, but the Lord Jesus, the king of all kings, the one they were looking for, came not to take, uh, but to give himself a ransom for many and to serve his people. And they missed what was right in front of them. They had the whole thing right in front of them. They missed it. They're looking for other things, sitting right there, the greatest king. That's where our story picks up. We're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you do that with me, we're going to read just six verses together to start our story. But strap on your seatbelts uh, because uh, five-point harness today, we're going to try to zip through an entire chapter, okay? So you're going to watch me just hammer through these verses. It's a great story. I hope you, uh, hope you had coffee this morning and uh, you can get through it with me. It'll be uh, fun. But we are First uh, Samuel chapter 9, we're going to read just verses 1 to 6 to start our story. It says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, the son of Bekaroth, the son of Aphia, the son of, Benj of a Benjamite, mighty man of valor. Now he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel from his shoulders and up he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Now take now with you one of the young men and arise and go search for these donkeys. Thus he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of uh, Shalisha, uh, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, 
but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Then they came to the land of Zuf, and Saul said to his young man who was with him, Come, let's, let's return, lest my father cease to be concerned about the donkeys and become anxious for us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and the man is, is held in honor. And all that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us our journey on which we have gone. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story about donkeys. And we pray that you would reveal to us, uh, Lord, this, the depths of this passage. Lord, something so mundane is searching for donkeys. What are you up to? We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to see this truth. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we see there in verse 1 and 2, we are introduced to a man named Kish. He's basically a wealthy nobody. The list of names given in verse 1 show us this, as there really isn't any other mention of them, this family, in any other place in the Bible. And this man, Kish, belongs to the tribe of Benjamin, which was the smallest of all the tribes. And as we will see, his family is the least of the tribe of Benjamin. So they were double nobodies. The 12 tribes of Israel, they were of Benjamin, the least of the tribes of Israel. And of the tribe of Benjamin, they were the least family of that tribe. So they were the least of the least. Nothing spectacular about this family. We see Kish has a son whose name is Saul, whose name will occupy the rest of the book in 1 Samuel. And we are told Saul is a handsome young man, the best-looking guy in Israel. Wow, a male model. He was ridiculously good-looking. He was taller than every guy in Israel. He was head and shoulders, it says, taller than anyone. So you couldn't miss this guy walking into a room. Tall and handsome. Okay? Side note, never noticed this, but fast forward to David and Goliath and the giants. Remember them? Saul becomes king, as we will find out, is the tallest man in Israel, at least by a foot. But David, the ruddy shepherd, filled with the Spirit of God, fought and defeated the nine-foot giants. Saul was the tallest, and he did not go into battle. But the ruddy boy David, the shepherd boy in the field who nobody noticed, that's the one who struck the nine-foot giant dead because he was filled with the Spirit of God. The meaning of Saul's name is very interesting and telling when put into context of the last chapter. The Hebrew word is Shaul. It means to ask or asked for or desire. Israel was asking for a king. And by God's providence, the very one he would give them would be named exactly what they asked for or desired, Saul is his name. Saul was the son of Kish, tall and handsome, wealthy, but they came from nobodies. Look at verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the young men with you, arise, and go look for the donkeys. The leaders of the nation of Israel are in turmoil, wanting a king, nervous about the Philistine army, and our story is taken to the back country woods of a nobody family who has lost their donkeys. I love this. God looks for people in places we would never look. 
God goes to the backwoods, hick town, where nobody's hanging out, and he says, that's where I'm going to find my guy. That's where I'm going to find my girl. Really? You don't come to the epicenter of L.A. to do that? Nope, that's not where I look, he says. I look in the places that nobody looks. God looks not on the outward appearance, as we'll find out. He looks at the heart. He looks ultimately at the inward, and that's where he finds his people. Though Saul was tall and handsome, he came from nobody and from nowhere. The leaders of the nation of Israel, again, were looking for a king. And we are taken to these backwoods looking for donkeys. Lost donkeys means lost wealth. And though this was a nobody family, they had a little bit of wealth. And Kish didn't just send anyone to look for the donkeys. Though he could have sent any one of his servants, he sends his son for this very important task to bring back their wealth. So Saul takes a servant with him to go and search on for these donkeys. And we see this in verse 4 to 6. It seems Saul and his servant search for a couple of days, can't find the donkeys. And so Saul tells the servant, let's go back home before my father starts to worry about us. The text says he gets anxious and says, dude, we've been gone for a couple of days searching for donkeys. My dad probably thinks we're dead, so um, we should probably get back home. And um, this prompts the servant who is with him to say something that would have not been thought of had they not been pressed to this point of not being able to find the donkeys. He says, Saul, I got an idea. There is a man of God in this city. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Now, a couple questions. How did this servant know where a man of God was in Zaph? How did this servant magically go know? And how did the servant that Saul's father sent with his boy to go check out the donkeys, go find them, know that there was a servant of God in the next city? We don't know. But these small moments of conversation don't seem like much, but it is amazing how they end up being the monumental moments in our story. This suggestion... They can't find the donkeys for multiple days. They're standing in a field. Saul becomes anxious. We should probably go home. The servant says, no, no, there's a man of God in this town right nearby who might be able to tell us where the donkeys are. It's a story about donkeys. Suggestions made by a random thought end up being the ultimate will and plan of God. I'm sure you can think back on times in life when one small conversation ended up being the complete change in direction in your life. It's amazing how our desires, needs, situations we are placed in all align at certain moments and end up moving us in a different direction of life, which end up being a part of the great plan of God as we look back on life when we are old. It's those had I never met that person, had I never had that conversation, had I never been put in that situation, I would have never found myself in that place or done that thing or met my spouse. It's amazing to trace the fingerprints of God at the end of your life. I remember when I was 16 years old, one church meeting in particular where a missionary from Sri Lanka showed up out of nowhere. I didn't book him. The pastor did. 
I don't know how I got in that service on that night, but I was there in a four-square church. And this guy from Sri Lanka, a missionary, started talking about the persecution him and his family were facing in Sri Lanka. And I was thinking to myself, this guy is radical, living for God like I've never heard before. I said, I want to live like that. And he said, if you want to receive prayer after the service, come down and receive prayer. I said, okay. I walked down after service. He prayed for me. And at that, right there in that moment, at that age, 16 years old, my eyes opened, my ears opened. And for the first time, I could see in color. Seeing in black and white before, I could see in color. I sensed God near. I could sense his spirit. I picked up my Bible the next day, and I took it to my high school. And I became crazy. <laughs> I did crazy stuff. You don't want to know the stories. I was radically foolish. I, I, I had permanent abandonment. I was just full for the Lord. I didn't know how to do anything else. One day I was doing this. The next day I was radically different. That moment changed my life forever, but I didn't know. I'll never forget seeing this girl sitting by herself in the balcony second service at my church. I thought, what's this beautiful girl like that doing sitting by herself? Led me to find out who she was. I added her on Facebook. And I messaged her, and the rest is history. We'll be married 11 years, two kids, and one on the way. Praise God. <laughs> Who would have known? What is she doing sitting in the balcony? We are told in Hebrews 12, too, that he, Jesus, is the author, writer, and finisher of our faith. He's writing the story. He is the writer. He is the author. He writes the story, and... We can be at peace knowing that the writer of our story knows what's best for us and is good and is kind and is a gracious father who loves his kids. That's who's writing, praise God. It's not a guy throwing planets around, praise God. It's a guy who loves his kids. So, though it doesn't seem like much in our story, Saul's setback of not being able to find these donkeys for days pushes this conversation with the servant to now suggest going to see the man of God in a nearby town who can help them find the donkeys. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. Then Saul said to this servant, but if we go, what are we going to bring the man for? The bread in our sacks is gone and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What, what do we have? The servant answered Saul again, here, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where they found the man of God, or they went to the city where the man of God was. Saul was good with going to see the man of God, but he was nervous because he didn't have anything to give him. The servant just so happened to have a coin in his pocket, and it was just enough that would convince Saul to go see him. I love it. We are also told in those days that if you wanted to know the will of God, even in the case of donkeys, what is the will of God about our donkeys? Go to the man of God. Go to the seer. Go find out. The one who can see the future. They, so they decided to go to the prophet to find out where the donkeys are at. Little did they know, this trip was not about donkeys. Look at verse 11. 
As they went up the hill to the city, they met a young woman coming out to draw water and said to them, is a seer here? And they answered, he is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now into the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. What are the chances? Pretty good if the Lord God is behind it. They walk into the city, Zeph, and ask a random woman at a watering well, excuse me, ma'am, um, is the seer, is the prophet near? And she, uh, first try, she says, actually, yes, he is. He actually just showed up in town, like you, and he's just actually a few steps ahead of you. He is back in town just because it's a day of sacrifice for the people. You came on the right day. It's a day of sacrifice. Well, we were wandering around looking for donkeys for a couple days. How did we get in here on the right day? He's going to bless the sacrifice unto God, then go eat with the invited guests. If you hurry, you can catch him right now, the lady says. You're actually perfect timing. How did you know? Saul and the servants are like, I don't know. We're just spending days looking for donkeys. Verse 14, so they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Pretty cool. They walk right into the city of thousands of people, and boom, Samuel the prophet is walking towards them. They don't know it's him, as we will see, but it's perfect timing. They don't even know, but they literally just got aligned right perfectly. You got thousands of people around. You're walking around in the city, and boom. you Santa Monica Promenade. You're walking around all these people everywhere, and boom. You're locking eyes with a prophet. You don't even know it yet. The author of 1 Samuel takes a moment to give us a flashback in time like a movie so the reader can feel the full weight of this moment. Check out the flashback, right? Bink! The scene changes. Flashback. It's kind of blurry, right? Now, verse 15, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel the prophet, the Lord said to Samuel the prophet, tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Flashback. So the day before in our story, God had told Samuel that a man was going to come into town named Saul from the land of Benjamin, and you are to anoint him with oil to be prince or leader of Israel, and he will be the one to save, God says, my people from the Philistines. For God says, I have heard the cries of my people. This is wild. Saul thought he was looking for his dad's donkeys. Samuel knew God was bringing him into town to be anointed as prince of Israel. He is about to win the lottery, and he doesn't even know it. He's walking into town looking for donkeys. Do, do, do. Hey, donkeys, where are the donkeys? Hey, donkeys, anybody know where my donkeys are at? And he doesn't know it, but God told another man the day before that that donkey kid looking for animals is going to be anointed king. Bible students, let me ask you this question. Did Saul choose to go find his father's donkeys 
or was God ordaining it? Was Kish's decision, Saul's father, to send the exact servant with Saul who would know about the man of God in Zeph? Was that Kish's choice or God? Did he set it up? Did Saul choose to go find the man of God in the city of Zeph by the words of the servant or did God ordain that? Did Saul make the decision in real time to ask the woman at the well where the prophet was at the perfect time? Or did God send her to the well to guide them without her even knowing it? Who did it? Saul was making decisions to find his father's donkeys in real time. And God was making decisions to anoint a king. Both were happening at the same time. Let me ask you today, did you decide to come to church or did God send you? Hmm, interesting. How is all of this happening? Are these people making decisions in real time or is God ordaining every detail? Answer, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We are making decisions in real time, and God is behind the scenes orchestrating, writing the story as he is the author and finisher of our faith. Let me take it a step further. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, who was crucifying him, people or almighty God? Well, the Romans were doing it, no doubt, but behind the scenes, we know almighty God was allowing the sacrifice for the sins of the world, the Lamb of God, to pay for the sins of the world so that people could be saved. The enemies of God and the Romans there in that time would say, yes, we killed that blasphemer. God would be shouting in heaven, praise be, because what has happened, my son has laid down his life for the world, and now there is salvation for them. God would say, my plan is being worked out perfectly. These things are hard to figure out, but they sit here in the text. We wrestle with them. Verse 17 says, when Samuel, when Samuel the prophet saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people, you. Amazing. The moment Samuel saw Saul walking towards him, the Lord spoke to him and said, there he is, the king of Israel, the super tall, handsome guy. There's a small detail in the test that always gets me. And it's any time I see God speaking directly to a human. It reminds me of the relationship God desires with us. Samuel is literally walking in the city and God speaks to him. Amazing, maybe not audibly, but through his word. God is still speaking to this day, but right here in the text, God actually speaks to Samuel right there in that place. He's walking through. He sees Saul. He says, that's the guy right there that I spoke to you about yesterday. Boom. A real download in real time. Again, does God speak to us today? Maybe not audibly, but through his word, his spirit brings things to remembrance. He impresses things upon us. He convicts us. He encourages us. 
We get a word for a brother or a sister in Christ to share with them. A prayer that we're led by him, a really supernatural moment. We're praying for somebody. Seems that we're able to pray exactly what they need at the right moment. Not smart enough to figure that out. That's a God moment. Through a worship song or through a spectacular moment that brings you to tears of joy or a moment of awe, the Lord is still speaking to his people. It looks and sounds different, but the relationship hasn't changed. The Lord points out Saul to Samuel right there in that moment. My grandma told me that she only heard the audible voice of God one time in her life, and she said that it was after a divorce. She was walking on the court steps after this had happened. She's walking out, all of a sudden she hears, Esther, Esther. She turns around and looks and no one is there. And she, she said in that moment that she knew that God was speaking to her. She heard her name. And it impacted her enough to tell me as a child, pretty crazy, my grandma's sharing this with me as a boy. Again, God wants relationship with you. I don't go walk out the door and have audible conversations with God. No. But he speaks to me through his word on the daily he speaks to me in my heart, in my mind. He impresses things upon me. He convicts me of things. He turns me this way and that. He speaks to me through other people. He's ministering to his people today. He wants relationship with us. And I love that God spoke directly to, prophet, to the prophet Samuel. Look at verse 18 and 19. Then Saul approached Samuel in the, in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? I love this. So good. And Samuel answered, I am the seer. The Saul walks directly up, directly up, looking for donkeys. Literally thousands of people in the city. He walks directly up to this tall guy. I'm sorry, this, uh, the prophet. He's the tall guy. He walks directly up to Samuel, and he says, hey, uh, do you know where the prophet's at? And Sam, Samuel's like, bingo, I am the seer. You're looking at him. Saul's still looking for donkeys. Samuel is talking with God and has found the king. He tells Saul, look at the text, go up before me to the high place, verse 19, for today you shall eat with me and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, they have been found. Forget about the donkeys. And for whom is all that is desired in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Saul answered, am I not a Benjamin from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Israel? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Samuel says, Saul, nice to meet you. Go up to the high place where the sacrifice is happening and I'll meet you for lunch, okay? After, uh, and, and as far as those donkeys go that you're looking for, it's all good. Somebody found them. Just forget about them. That's not why you're here. We have other things to discuss, like you and your father's house running all of Israel. What do you say? Saul's like, what? What are you talking about? Me and my father's house having desirable things in Israel? I'm the least of all the tribes, and my family's the least of that tribe. Why do you want to talk with me? I'm a nobody. 
Just a guy looking for my dad's donkeys. That's why I want to talk to you. I love this. God uses the most unlikely people regardless of who Saul becomes. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is a grace, no doubt, and Saul can't process what Samuel is saying because he is in the lowest of the low in his tribe. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. These principles are still true to this day. Look at verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said, you put aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you may eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Samuel tells us, or I'm sorry, Samuel tells Saul, please, please, come eat with me and come and sit at my table. And Saul's like, okay, where are we going? Del Taco or what do you say? Before you know it, they're walking into the nicest place in town and the most prominent 30 leaders of the city are seated in this hall. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Samuel walks Saul and his servant. They're all dirty from looking for donkeys. Couldn't we at least get cleaned up, tuxedo or something? And uh, Samuel walks Saul and his servant friend up to the head of the table and has them sit with him in front of all these 30 prominent leaders of the city. And then the chef walks up. Yes, hello, welcome. Tonight the special is the Wagyu tomahawk chops, a 40-ounce steak imported from Eden. It's topped with rosemary garlic saute button mushrooms with broccoli fourlets. Samuel says to the chef in front of all the guys, no, 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 chef, bring the portion I gave you of which I said put it aside. That one, the really good one. So I was like, what? Who? Samuel says, see, See, come here. What was kept is set before you eat because it was kept for you until the appointed hour. The writer of Samuel is pointing out God appointed this hour and this moment and the best was kept for Saul. This was all prepared beforehand. Samuel, watch this. Samuel is treating Saul as a king even though Saul doesn't know he's one. He's treating him like the king. And he doesn't know how to receive it. Saul was thinking, what am I doing at this table? You got the wrong guy. Some of you need to remember, God is treating you like a child of him. Princes and princesses, daughters and sons of the king, you forget he's treating you like that every single day. You're wondering, what am I doing here at the table? Don't forget who you are. And don't forget how God is treating you every single day. He is pouring blessing upon blessing. It was kind of like how me and my buddy Ryan felt uh, when we were at this pastor's conference a couple weeks ago. Um, at this pastor's conference that a guy named Mark Dever was putting on. If you know Mark Dever, he's kind of a big deal in the Christian world. And uh, he's the founder of Nine Marks and wrote, 
a book that's impacted a large portion of the church today, um, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And anyways, after the session, we were there. Uh, we were talking with a group of the brothers in the church, and it had emptied out. And Mark Dever walks right up to us, literally just walks right up to us uh, and starts a conversation that lasts about 20 minutes. I'm like, what is going on? <clears throat> we take a picture with him, and he gives us his phone number. I'm like, what is going on here? Then we go to lunch, and in the lunch line, he walks up to us out of about 150, 200 pastors in the place and whispers, come sit with me at my table. What? Us. We, we were like, what? We were giggling like a bunch of little schoolgirls. What are we doing at the table with Mark Dever talking away? True story, talk for like an hour. We knew he had made a mistake. We weren't supposed to be at the table. He had the wrong guys. But by the grace of God, we were seated at the table. We felt like kings for a day, though we knew we weren't. You see, Saul had a much greater experience as his was real, and he was being treated like a king because God had ordained him and brought him to that seat. And I want to reiterate again today that you are seated under the king of all kings, and he invites you to come sit at his table over and over and over, and come sit with me. Come dine with me. Lord, you want me to sit at your table? I can't sit at your table. Come and feast with me. He blesses us, he serves us, and he treats us as his sons and daughters at his table. Amen. It's beautiful. Beautiful pictures in the story. After dinner, verse 25, take a look. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. And then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof up, that I may send you away on your way. So Saul rose and both he and Samuel went out into the street, and as they were going down the, to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And then he passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. He got a good night's sleep, a great meal. They got up early, and Samuel was going to send off Saul and his servant. But before he does, he stops Saul. The prophet stops him. He says, hold on. Servant, go on ahead. He says, Saul, are you ready? I'm going to tell you the word of God. And Saul's still thinking, what is this all about? He's just looking for donkeys. I'm going to tell you the word of God. He says, yes, please tell me. 1 Samuel 10.1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it on the head of him, and he kissed him, and he says, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. It is written, and this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. It will happen. You can run as far as you want, Jonah. It's going to happen. Wow, Samuel says this is the word of God, which is the will of God. And he poured oil over his head, and he kissed him as a sign of anointing. He blessed him. The Lord has anointed you, Saul. You were the one to be prince, leader over Israel. You reign over God's people. You will save them from their enemies. 
The backcountry boy, Hick, is standing there in awe, thinking, how can this be? I wanted to leave you with three points as we close in the story very quickly. Number one, God is working in the ordinary. Did you see it? Even when you don't know it, in the mundane, he is working. Could it be God's providence and plan that the Lord would have Kish? Name his son Saul, which means asked for. Because he planned for Saul one day to go looking for his father's donkeys, only to be redirected to a city where he would meet Samuel the prophet and be anointed to be king, the prophet, or I'm sorry, the king, the people had asked for. This story reminds me again that God is in the details of everything. He is in the ordinary, and we are not to take these details for granted. I'm always looking for him in the extraordinary. But he has given all of this journey of life on earth to us to enjoy and to experience from finding donkeys to raising kids to driving with my wife talking. You never know what God is up to in the mundane. The ordinary can be a joy and a blessing with the Lord. All day, every day here in L.A., the ordinary can be a blessing. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Micah 6.8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Sinclair Ferguson said this, appearances can be deceptive. The fact that we cannot see what God is doing does not mean that he is not doing something. He's working. Second thing I want to leave you with is God hears the cries of his people. Verse 16 said, He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. I'm thankful for this moment the Lord has with Samuel. We get to see the heart of our God that even though the people wanted a human king and weren't satisfied with God as their king, he still heard their cry. Isn't that awesome? That they were scared of their enemies and needed God to save them. We know there is a king far greater than Saul, far greater than David. That's King Jesus, who we look to. He hears our cries and saves us from our trouble. Watch this. God hears the cries of his kids, even if their requests aren't perfect. Even when my kids ask for things or, or want things or want to do things and it doesn't come in perfect ways, it doesn't matter. I hear the cries of my children. I love them. I hear their heart. I know what they need. Our God loves us and helps us. That's what a good father does. He loves them no matter what. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isaiah 65, verse 24, before they call, I will answer them, God says. While they are yet speaking, I will hear them. Before you even call, he's listening. Right now, he's ready. Always listening. Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Deuteronomy 4, 7, what nation is great enough to have a God as near to them as our Lord? Our God is to us near to us whenever we call upon him. Finally, the third thing I want to leave you with is that God has a plan you can't see, so trust him. God has a plan you can't see, and so trust him. Saul didn't see this coming, 
And I would argue that Samuel didn't see any of it coming until the Lord showed him. Samuel was ready to go tell the people, no, forget you guys. You're not getting a human king. God is your king. Stop with all this. I'm upset at you for it. No king for you. Chapter 8, but God had a different plan, and he does in your life too. We can't always connect the pieces, but we have to know and be reminded that he has, our plan, he has a plan you can't see. Thus, we must trust him. Our lack of being able to see the next step forces us to fall on him and trust him. To be fully dependent on him is the best place to be. Looking to the cross again, Peter, Peter was losing his mind when the cross was happening. My best friend Jesus is being crucified. We're all going to die. Peter thought he was going to be crucified too. He ended up being crucified, but not then. He was so scared, and God was sitting there in perfect peace from heaven saying, no, no, this is my will. This is my plan. I don't know what terrible things have happened in your life that are hard to process, hard to work through. You're saying, what is going on? What is happening? What is God's mindset in heaven? How is he working in your story? Be reminded that he has a plan. I don't know where God has you in his story today, but I want you to know he has a plan, and it's being worked out. He hears your cry, and he is working to save you. He has a plan, and you can trust him. J.I. Packer said this, to know that nothing happens in God's world apart from God's will may frighten the godless, but it stabilizes the saints. I'm thankful he's got it all in his hands. It may scare the godless to death, but it brings me rest at night. To the king of all kings who loves me, loves his people, has everything under control. The king of all kings is working now in every single detail of your life. Cling to him. God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. He's going to continue to do that as you seek him. And I want you to know today that God's in every single detail regardless of whether it's a high or a low in your life, God is in every single detail. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to remember the Lord. Let's go before him now. Father, we worship you in this place. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. You're a good king. And you do. You love your kids. You take care of your kids. You're with us. You're for us. You're never going to leave us nor forsake us, and we're thankful. And I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, as we seek you in this place, we would be reminded of your truth. We would be reminded that you are in the details. We would be reminded that you were in the details of the darkest time in history. And the sins of the whole world were being cast upon the sinless Son of God in order to bring forth the most beautiful thing on the planet, we're thankful for salvation. We remember what you've done. And Lord, as we turn to you now in communion, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, help us to renew our communion and relationship with you. And as we celebrate together, we celebrate in communion with one another as well, loving you, remembering the greatness of what you have done for us. We turn to you now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.